0: Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up, Governor Cooper presents his budget plan. Democrats in Congress push for DC statehood and the White House is facing growing pressure to support vaccine passports. Next. Major funding for Front Row
1: is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash Front Row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman.
0: Welcome back, joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with Carolina Journal, communications consultant Donna King, Robert Reeves, the Democratic Minority Leader in the State House, and Nelson Dower, Senior Advisor to the North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, why don't we begin with the Governor's budget plan?
2: Governor Roy Cooper presented his first major budget plan since re election, and of course, the first since North Carolina has been dealing with the COVID 19 pandemic. And this two year budget plan had some uh, clear priorities. The governor putting about a billion dollars more into education, focusing on issues like 10% pay raises for public school teachers over the next two years. Of course, one of the reasons to focus on teacher pay raises is his vetoes of past budgets have prevented teachers from getting raises for the past couple of years. State employees, other than teachers and folks in education, would see 5 percent pay raises over the next two years. And all of these workers would also get some one-time bonuses mixed in. The governor, once again, as he has since he was elected the first time, pushes once again in the budget for Medicaid expansion. And he said, in unveiling the budget, that he thinks circumstances have changed uh, because of the pandemic and also because of some major new incentives from the Biden administration. The governor also wants a $4.7 billion bond package with much of that money going toward education projects. Now, uh, briefly, on the critics' side, they say that this is much too much new spending, an 11.6 percent increase from the current budget to what the governor wants for the next budget year. AND ALSO, WITH THE BILLION DOLLARS OF NEW SPENDING ON EDUCATION, HE TAKES SPECIFIC AIM AT A HIGH PRIORITY FOR REPUBLICANS, AND THAT IS OPPORTUNITY SCHOLARSHIPS. ROBERT, YOU HAVE THE FLOOR.
3: WELL, I THINK ONE OF THE THINGS THAT YOU LOOK AT WITH THE NEW BUDGET, AS STATED, I MEAN, MEDICAID expansion IS A PRIME OPPORTUNITY THIS YEAR AS OPPOSED TO THE LAST COUPLE OF YEARS. ONE OF THE THINGS THAT YOU NOTICE IS THAT THE AMERICAN RELIEF PLAN has given a bigger incentive so that basically we could have Medicaid for free for the next six years if you spread everything out. So that is a big deal. The capital projects that they pushed out during the bond package are really something else substantial if you think about it, because that's something that both the House and the governor agreed on during the last biennium. And it's one of those things that we've got to look at. And I think that you've got more movement even in the Senate now that we agree that we need some type of bond package. We just don't know what that's going to be.
0: No, so what was the Republican response and where is there any room for compromise you think, my friend? Well, it's a good start and there's room for compromise. Over the past 10 years, the Republican-led
4: General Assembly has put North Carolina on a long-term sustainable path focused on the state's highest priorities. And those have included pro-growth tax reform, Medicaid reform, reforming our mental health systems, strengthening early childhood education, raising teacher pay. Uh, and also making sure that we created a real savings reserve in the state. So this year, unlike many other states, we had no furloughs. Uh, We had no cuts to education or other critical programs. Uh, Our economy is bouncing back now. We have the funds to make important investments, uh, but we will not mirror the uh, wasteful spending that you're seeing in
0: Washington right now. Donna, your take on this budget, and and, and do you think it's a deal breaker that the opportunity scholarships are not in the budget?
5: I think that that really could be for a lot of Republicans, particularly after a year where a lot of families felt like their child was trapped in the public school system and couldn't go into class right now. So that may come across as a bit tone deaf for some of the Republicans who say this is THE this shows you what opportunity scholarships could do for kids, so that they have an option and they aren't trapped in a system that uh, that doesn't serve them. But I would also think that uh, you know the idea of Medicaid expansion in this particular case, a lot of Republicans are saying, well, circumstances have changed, but maybe not enough to bring everybody to the table on this. There was some some support for Medicaid expansion among Republicans if if it had a work requirement or some level of copay. Uh, But maybe with the increase in conversations between uh, the the governor and the Republican led legislature over reopening schools, maybe that sort of warmed the waters or at least thawed the ice uh, negotiating a Medicaid expansion plan.
0: Okay, we need to move on. We'll continue to follow this, obviously. Robert, I want to talk to you about D.C. statehood. It's getting a lot of momentum, momentum in Congress. Robert?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting one on now, and as most of you remember, D.C. statehood was pushed on for about two years ago, and it was passed in the House. Well, this time there's been a new movement, and the expectation is that there's a better chance because, of course, the situation with the Senate. D.C., for those of you that have kept up, has got 700,000 residents. That would make them, at this point, the 49th biggest state if they were put ahead of uh, Wyoming and I think it's Vermont. And so with that being said, they pay federal taxes, 700,000 people. They don't really have a say in a lot of things that happen to them because they are considered part of the federal government. And so a lot of people feel right now that this is the time for D.C. to become a state. The flip side of that is even though the Senate makeup has changed, you still have to get 60 votes in the Senate for this to happen. A lot of people think that that's unlikely because at this point in time, you've only got 40 of the 50 Democrats in the Senate that are even supporting the original bill that has been put out as a companion to the House bill. And so thinking that you're going to get 10 more Democrats and then be able to get the other 10 Republicans that you're going to need. It's really going to be a tough road to hope, but it's a situation that's really, really fraught with uh, a lot of history when it comes down to voting, and it's something that I do think we've got to at least have a full discussion about and so that people understand if it doesn't happen, why it doesn't happen, because a lot of people in D.C. feel like they're being shorted right
0: do now. You, do you view it as an equality issue? Robert, do you view, view it I as... I
3: think a- that people who are concerned about... Go ahead. People who are concerned about it do feel it's an equality issue. Yes, they, they definitely, that is the big here that you, thing that you hear people talking about. And I think that's really what you've got to pay attention to because it tends to be not about what our perceptions are okay. as elected officials, but what the citizens feel themselves. And I think the citizens say that.
0: Nelson, is, is this constitutional? Is this what the framers had in mind? No, Article One, Section A of the
4: Constitution established a district for the seat of government of the United States with federal jurisdiction over federal property. And in 1961, uh, the special constitutional nature of the district was affirmed by the 23rd Amendment, which did give residents three electoral votes. Uh, and when you look at the constitutional provisions for establishing a state, they are not intended to create uh, these rump entities. So, for example, why should one city Uh, with a population a third smaller than Charlotte have two United States senators. So uh, this bill uh, certainly only keeps the main governmental complex as the capital area. So the 23rd Amendment would have to be repealed. Otherwise, you would end up with twice the number of allowable electoral votes in this particular given area than uh, the smallest state, again, creating a constitutional issue. So This is fraught with constitutional uh, challenges and uh, a lot of problems.
0: Mitch, is this a power grab? Do you think they'll use the uh, end of the the, uh, filibuster to get this done? There's a lot of talk now that they are going to end the filibuster. And frankly, the uh, president uh, mentioned that he was in favor of reform at his press conference this week.
2: Some people certainly want the Senate to get rid of the filibuster so something like this could happen. And you asked earlier, is it a power grab? That's entirely what it is. The, the voting population within the District of Columbia is overwhelmingly Democrat, so it would be basically two Democratic votes on the U.S. Senate more than what they have now. That's the entire goal. But the framers, going back to the beginning of this nation, thought it would be a bad idea to have the seat of government in a state that could end up being hostile to the federal government, and you would have people leading the national government okay. who'd be beholden to a state government. to close this out in about 20 seconds.
5: Sure. Well, a national survey recently found that only about 35% of Americans support the idea of DC becoming a state, but other opponents say it really comes down to money. Can DC support itself without a broad manufacturing or agriculture, or any and of that kind of an economic base? It's relying very heavily on the federal government and tourism.
0: Okay, I want to move on. Come right back to you. There's a lot of support for vaccine passports among the president's uh, allies, including big tech, the travel industry.
5: Yes, yes. Well, you know, I think they're hoping it'll be a shot in the arm or a a fast track to getting uh, tourism up and running again. But some groups are uh, urging the Biden administration to consider creating a plan that would uh, allow people to show an app on their phone that they have been vaccinated in order to go to the theater or uh, go out in public or participate in activities. The idea being that they think that they can really increase uh, openings and reopening the economy if they can ensure that everybody who's there is vaccinated and they can prevent an outbreak. Uh, But this really rubs up against uh, HIPAA laws. There's lots of questions on privacy, who would control the data. Uh, But among the things that is alarming to people who are opposing this, uh, they say, you know, you've got the same groups who are saying you should not need an I.D. to vote, but somehow you should need an app on your phone showing you're vaccinated to go to a theater or go to the grocery store. Uh, But we're already seeing this coming up. Uh, New York City is uh, working on a plan so that people would show their vaccination in order to go to theater. Hawaii is even thinking about uh, letting people bypass quarantine when they get on the island if they're vaccinated.
2: Mitch, Biden's very hesitant to do this, isn't he? He is. And I saw a very encouraging sign in a political uh, story that the Biden administration doesn't want the government to be the one in charge if there is something like this and doesn't want the government to be storing the data. If something like this happens, it ought to be done through the private sector in a secure way and a free way and in a way that doesn't take advantage of disadvantaged communities. Because if this is done through something like an app, what about the people who don't have access to apps? You could have another way in which the government is dividing the haves and have-nots, and I don't think anyone wants that, even the folks who are uh, interested in in getting this sort of passport. So it could be an equity issue. Yeah, it definitely could be. I think that's something that you have to watch out for. Anything that requires uh, a stronger use of technology is going to hurt those who don't have access to that technology.
0: Nelson, jump in here. Well, everyone is
4: sympathetic to the travel industry and the airlines, but uh, requiring us to provide our medical records to a national database—that's not the answer. And this is really about lawyers and money. I mean, the airlines want to be protected against liability, and they also want more passengers in the seats. And while you understand that, that is, as Donna said, at the expense of personal privacy. So. Uh, You know, this pandemic has yielded some great scientific achievements, but some major policy failures. And we don't need the government to come out of this pandemic far more in control of our personal lives.
3: Mr. Reeves? Well, I think, you know, one of the things I didn't really know that the tech industry was in the voter ID debate. But with that being said... I think the big thing that you've seen with this issue is the privacy issue. And I think as an attorney, I would say, you've got to be concerned about any time that you're trying to get somebody to do something they may not want to do. It's really a private business issue. And I think that's part of the reason also that the president is hesitant because the bottom line is, businesses want a way to indemnify themselves. That's great. Should the government be involved, that's a whole different issue. But I'm just like Nelson in the sense of, everybody's very sympathetic to what's happened to the hospitality industry. And even with vaccinations going as well as they are, The big issue that all of us have isn't going to be as much about vaccinations as people feeling comfortable returning back to their regular life once they're vaccinated. That's going to be a tough road to hope.
0: Okay, a final word in about 40 seconds.
5: Sure. The big risk really is is who's going to control that data and whether it will uh, set up a situation where people are being discriminated against and denied access to public facilities because they either, for religious reasons, decided not to get vaccinated or they simply don't have the means to have access to an app or whatever it's required to show, which could be, you know, theaters, grocery stores, churches, you know, whatever it is, whoever decides to implement it, it could create a situation where people are being excluded from the community.
0: Okay, I want to move on. Nelson, Republican. A.G.'s across the country are challenging Biden's agenda in court. Fill us in.
4: Yes, there are 26 Republican states attorneys general, and they are picking up where their Democrat colleagues left off suing the president. So Democrat AGs sued Trump over immigration, climate change, health care, Keystone Pipeline. Now Republican A.G.s are suing Biden over exactly the same issue, immigration, climate change, uh, pipelines. Uh, Governor uh, Abbott of Texas, a former attorney general, uh, sued uh, President Obama very famously over um, uh, Obamacare. Uh, now the new HHS Secretary, Javier uh, Becerra, who was a AG in California, he had filed over 100 suits against Trump during his term. So what we really see, Mark, is presidents um, are issuing far too many uh, executive orders. Federal agencies are issuing rules that exceed their statutory authority. Unelected federal judges are issuing national injunctions against actions of both the president and the Congress. And now, of course, state attorneys generals are trying to shape national policy as well by lawsuits. Uh, Mark, only in America.
0: Okay. Let me ask you, Mitch do you think the president is attempting to legislate through executive order at point at sometimes?
2: Yes, he certainly is, and he's not the first to do this. This was certainly done under the Trump administration. It was done under President Obama, who talked about having the pen and the phone. It was done to a lesser extent under uh, George W. Bush. I think one of the reasons that we're seeing these attorney generals take the actions that they are, whether it's now Republicans with the Biden administration or before them, the Democrats with the Trump administration, is that so much of the process of the federal government is taking place outside of the normal lawmaking process. If Congress passes a law, it's harder for these AGs to take some sort of action. When it's just the president moving by executive order, this is something that's easier to challenge in court.
0: Robert, do the Republicans have a point or is this just political posturing, you think?
3: Well, I I never like to call anybody's lawsuits political posturing, but I would say this, is that what the big problem is, like Mitch is talking about, is that you got so much legislating that's going on outside of the building now. And I think that's the result of the gridlock that you see in Washington. And this is one of the offshoots that's going to continue to happen until we get to a point where we get a functional national government That really understands that. Look, you guys got to come to compromise and got to make decisions to make laws. You're going to continue to see lawsuits outside of the lawmaking process, trying to define what the parameters really should be. And I think that this is just following into that same mode.
0: Donna. Typically, these lawsuits may go through his first term, correct, and with no outcome.
5: I think so. I think we saw that with the Trump administration. But, you know, what we're really seeing is our our natural system of checks and balances. The, you know, framers set up lots of different ways that states could, uh, could defend themselves and have a role even if they're, you know, smaller than the federal government. And I think that this will continue just as it did in the Trump administration.
0: Nelson, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, my friend.
4: Well, Mark, you know, to the point of what the founders actually intended, I think they intended for the federal government to do far less. They wanted the states uh, to really be empowered and just be unified for purposes of national defense, foreign policy, and commerce be- between the states. So the real innovation that we've been seeing uh, the last decade or two has been in the states while Congress has been. Uh, largely log jammed, and I think, unfortunately, you're seeing greater partisanship um, uh, in our national politics, and hopefully that is going to sort itself out over these next few years.
0: Okay, great conversation. I want to move on to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch.
2: North Carolina's U.S. Senators Richard Burr and Tom Tillis are among the Republicans who have reintroduced something called the Protect and Serve Act. This is a piece of legislation that would add some federal penalties when someone purposely attacks a law enforcement officer, targets them for violence. It would apply to those who are federal officers. It could also apply, though, to local or state officers if the federal government has some sort of jurisdiction. Penalties could be up to 10 years in federal prison, or in the case of a murder or kidnapping, could even have the federal death penalty. So, this is an interesting piece of legislation, especially with all that we have seen. IN RECENT YEARS DEALING WITH LAW ENFORCEMENT ISSUES AND CRIMINAL JUSTICE. DONNA UNDERREPORTED, PLEASE.
5: WELL, I LIKE THIS ONE. A PIECE OF THE WRIGHT BROTHER'S ORIGINAL PLANE IS ON MARS. SO NASA SAID THAT THEY HAVE A HELICOPTER THAT THEY'RE GETTING READY TO FLY. IT WILL BE THE VERY FIRST um, uh, POWERED CONTROLLED FLIGHT ON ANOTHER PLANET. NOW THAT HELICOPTER, NASA'S HELICOPTER, HAS A LITTLE SWATCH OF THE WRIGHT BROTHER'S ORIGINAL 1903 WRIGHT FLYER. AND SO THAT'S EXCITING FOR NORTH CAROLINA. A LITTLE PIECE OF THAT FLYER ON MARS
0: there's still a debate between ohio and north carolina about the wright brothers there Correct. is i'm going
5: to go with north carolina
0: okay robert underreported please
3: rutgers university is going to become the first large school in the nation that is going to require vaccination for all the students before they come back in obviously especially in light of what we've already talked about this is going to be a controversial stand but an interesting one because rutgers is de- dedicated and according to their statement to trying to get their people back into a regular flow of campus but of course now we run into all of the same issues that we talked about before about what does that mean for people in their personal privacy
0: do you think North Carolina or UNC might follow that example
3: I'd be very surprised to see that
0: okay Nelson underreported please Larry
4: Summers former tre- Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton recently said this is the least responsible macroeconomic policy we've had in the last 40 years. And what he means by that is even though the economy is rapidly accelerating, Congress is on a record spending spree, and the Federal Reserve is holding interest rates near zero while continuing to buy assets. So the way Summers uh, sees it, we have a third of a a chance uh, risk of accelerating inflation that results in stagflation, similar to the late 1960s about a third of a risk of the Federal Reserve uh, hitting the brakes uh, too hard at some point in time and actually throwing us into a recession. And that only about a third of a chance that we actually find a way to thread the needle. Uh, The important point is, is that the laws of economics have not been repealed. And I think that folks both in Congress Uh, and in the Federal Reserve need to sort of dust off the old economic books and see what they're doing now.
0: You know, I think a lot of Americans would settle for the Clinton economy right now, don't you? Well, it
4: would be. It would be a balanced budget. It would be growing and uh, government living within
0: its means. Fact is, the fact last time we had a balanced budget was between Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton. That's a little historical trivia for you.
4: Yes.
2: Okay, I want to go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? I'm gonna go with a what's up this time, and that is education in North Carolina public schools about the Holocaust. The State House's Education Committee passed a bill on that front. There was some debate about whether this legislation should add in other minority groups that have been targeted for terrible treatment, but the folks who are pushing this said, if if you wanna do that, PASS ANOTHER BILL. THIS IS PARTICULARLY FOCUSING ON THE HOLOCAUST, GOT THROUGH THE HOUSE EDUCATION COMMITTEE. WE'LL SEE WHERE IT GOES FROM THERE. MY WHO'S DOWN, KAREN BRINSON-BELL, SHE'S THE EXECUTIVE DIRECTOR OF THE NORTH CAROLINA STATE BOARD OF ELECTIONS. SHE UNDERWENT MORE THAN TWO HOURS OF GRILLING BY STATE SENATORS WHO ARE STILL UNHAPPY ABOUT A 2020 uh, DEAL BETWEEN THE BOARD OF ELECTIONS AND DEMOCRATIC SUPER LAWYER MARK ELIAS THAT CHANGED SOME OF NORTH CAROLINA'S ELECTION RULES. DONNA, WHO'S UP AND WHO'S DOWN THIS WEEK?
5: Well, up, I'm going to say those advocates who have been calling for schools to reopen this week, uh, Mecklenburg County Schools and Wake County Schools, our two largest school districts, announced that they are bringing kids back into plan A, which is full-time, five days a week. Uh, And they will probably start when they come out of uh, spring break, Wake County starting in April, and Mecklenburg is working their way up with four days in April and five days in May. So that's up for them. My down, actually, is NC uh, Department of Transportation has been getting a lot of heat lately for trash along our highways. If you've traveled back and forth to the beach recently, you may have noticed there's an inordinate amount of trash on the highways. They say that they had to scale back during COVID to doing those litter sweeps along the highways. They used to do six a year. During COVID, they only did three. Plus, those Adopt-A-Highway groups couldn't meet. So the whole, the end of it, we've really had problems with trash on the highways, but they say they are on it. And they have collected 2 million pounds of trash over the last three months and more to come.
0: Robert, who's up and who's down this week? Up are
3: smaller schools, Loyola, Chicago, and also Oral Roberts have taken the place of the Blue Bloods like UNC, Duke, and Kentucky, and they're having a great time in the NCAA. So I would say that all the small programs feel pretty good right now. Who's down? The European Union. Uh, Whereas at one point in time, we were starting to lag a little bit behind the European Union and how they were handling COVID. Suddenly, the U.S. has figured out how to vaccinate. Europe has it, and they're looking at a whole bunch of surges since then.
0: All emails on UNC basketball, go to Robert Reeves. I'll get that for you after the show. Nelson, who's up and who's down this week?
4: Who's up the Netherlands? Uh, Dutch voter turnout was 82.6% in recent national elections, uh, with only those uh, 70 and older actually being allowed to vote by mail, so they turn out at the polls. Sadly, in the U.S., only 62% of adults turned out in November. Uh, but this was our highest uh, turnout since 1960. Uh, who's down? The grounded uh, container ship uh, ever given. Uh, this thing is longer than four football fields. It carries over 20,000 boxcar size uh, containers. It is blocking 12% of global shipping right now at a cost of over $10 billion a day. Uh, and the the real downside is this is a preview of what's going to happen in the next major Middle Eastern war.
2: OK, headline next week, Mitch. Democrats, Republicans pursue contrasting forms of election changes in the weeks ahead. That's going to be a big fight, isn't it? Very big fight. We just heard that the Democrats have a, a series of proposals that would put into place basically the rules that we used in 2020. a headline next week.
5: Yes, uh, President Biden is scheduled to unveil a three trillion dollar Uh, infrastructure plan and he's scheduled to go to pittsburgh which of course is a historically union town to make that big announcement
0: robert headline next week amazon continues
3: to take a pr hit as they continue to fight with their people down in alabama and all their workers
0: will that become unionized you think
3: i think that the workers are going to vote to unionize yes
0: okay headline next week quickly nelson Americans drained at the pump as gas prices rise. Okay, great job, panel. I think we covered a lot today. That's it for watching. Have a great weekend. See you next week on Front Row.
1: Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by... NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina. Mary Louise and John Burris. Reifenberg Construction. Stefan Gleason. And Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org frontrow front